Hello everyone, welcome to Knox Bedtime Stories. I'm your friend Joey, here with another episode to help you relax, feel safe, and fall asleep. It's 9pm here, I hope you're all being kind to yourselves, staying away from the news cycle, and are surrounding yourself with positive content like Knox Bedtime Stories. Do you want to get swole, ripped, and buff this summer? Do you want to strut down the beach with your arms out like you're carrying luggage? Tonight's good news story is titled, Lifting Weights for Just 3 Seconds a Day Helps Our Muscles Grow According to Scientists. Followed by, Tonight's Extremely Chill and Relaxing Stories Called Strawberries and a Kiss Goodnight. And as you may have guessed, Strawberries is actually a story about strawberries. I've always wondered why there are so many sleep stories about lavender fields and none about strawberry fields, but after many hours of research, I discovered this relaxing gem and I added another very short story called A Kiss and Goodnight. We have a new Patreon supporter, VaultiestRuby9. Thank you so much for supporting Knox Bedtime Stories and helping to bring a little calm and kindness to the internet. My wonderful listeners, I need your help. Please consider becoming a patron of the podcast. I've poured thousands of hours into Knox Bedtime Stories to bring comfort, sleep, and kindness to people around the world. Many of you don't know this, but Knox Bedtime Stories is listened to in 60 countries around the world and is ranked in the top 0.5% of all podcasts in the world in downloads. However, I currently only have the support of 23 patrons out of the tens of thousands of regular listeners. So please, if you can afford as little as $2 a month, become a patron. It'll not only help me to get episodes out much more often, but it helps thousands of people around the world get a good night's sleep. You'll also get access to a growing library of stories, which includes Harry Potter, Tales of Beetle the Bard, The Wizard of Oz, Glinda of Oz, many other short stories, and coming soon, sitcoms. Yes, I'll be reading sitcom scripts without the annoying laugh tracks to help you fall asleep. You'll also get your name posted on KnoxBedtimeStories.com, which gets thousands of views a week and a thank you at the beginning of an episode. If you would like to become a Patreon patron and make the world just a little bit better by giving people a place of calm, kindness, and support to come to, you can do so by going to KnoxBedtimeStories.com and clicking the Patreon link or Patreon.com forward slash KnoxBedtimeStories. And please feel free to follow me on Instagram at KnoxBedtimeStories. If you're new here to the Knox family, welcome. I hope I'm able to bring you calm and comfort at bedtime for a long time to come. From here on out, nothing exists except you, me, this beautiful fireplace, and the bed, couch, or floor you're laying on. Let's get to tonight's good news story about getting buff with just three seconds of exercise, followed by tonight's sleep story called Strawberries. Lifting weights for just three seconds a day helps our muscles grow, according to scientists. People who say they don't have time to exercise 
might have to rethink after scientists proved just three seconds a day lifting weights was enough to strengthen muscle. A new study by researchers in Australia and Japan found doing just one downward bicep curl a day using a heavy weight increases muscle strength by more than 11%. Whole body workouts could be over in just 30 seconds if the findings hold up in other muscle groups, the scientists added. For the study, 39 healthy university students were told to complete one muscle contraction a day at maximum effort for just three seconds, five days a week for four weeks. The students were split into groups who did three different types of bicep curls. One group used their biceps to lower a weight down towards the floor which fitness experts call an eccentric bicep curl. Other participants lifted the weight up, called a concentric curl, or held it parallel to the ground, called an isometric contraction. Another group of 13 students did no exercise at all. Students who did the downward bicep curl saw their muscle strength grow by 11.5%. Participants who performed other types of curl also grew stronger, although their increase in muscle strength was smaller than for those who did a downward bicep curl. The group of volunteers who did no exercise at all did not see any increase in their muscle strength. Professor Ken Nisaka from Edith Cowan University in Perth, Australia, who designed the study, said the results show people don't need to spend vast amounts of time exercising to get stronger muscles. Professor Nasaka added, The study results suggest that a very small amount of exercise stimulus, even 60 seconds in 4 weeks, can increase muscle strength. Many people think you have to spend a lot of time exercising, but it's not the case. Short, good quality exercise can still be good for your body, and every muscle contraction counts. During the study, the researchers measured each group's eccentric, isometric, and concentric strength. Only the group of students who did the downward or eccentric curl saw an increase in all three types of strength. Participants who did concentric lifting saw some improvement in their isometric strength, but no improvement elsewhere, while the isometric group only saw an increase in their eccentric strength. Professor Nasaka added, The findings are exciting for promoting physical fitness and health, such as preventions of sarcopenia, a decrease in muscle mass and strength with aging. We haven't investigated other muscles yet, but if we find the three-second rule also applies to other muscles, then you might be able to do a whole-body exercise in less than 30 seconds. Also, Performing only one maximal contraction per day means you don't get sore afterwards. The findings were published in the Scandinavian Journal of Medicine and Science and Sports. By the way, I do not recommend lifting maximum heavy weights without warming up. It's just asking for an injury. Alright now, let's get into bed. Say to yourself, my bedroom is a place of peace and relaxation. When I enter this room and crawl into bed at night, today's thoughts naturally begin to soften. My burden lightens and sleep is coming. 
Let's get to tonight's story, Strawberries and a Kiss Goodnight. Set the sleep-inducing music in this beautiful fireplace. If you're not already laying down, please do so in whatever way is comfortable. And let's begin. Was it old Dr. Parr who sat her side in his last illness? Oh, if I can only live till strawberries come. The old scholar imagined that if he could weather it till then, the berries would carry him through. No doubt he had turned from the drugs and the nostrums, or from the hateful food to the memory of the pungent, penetrating, and unspeakably fresh quality of the strawberry with the deepest longing. The very thought of these crimson lobes embodying, as it were, the first glow and ardor of the young summer, and with their power to unsheath the taste and spur the nagging appetite, made life seem possible and desirable to him. The strawberry is always the hope of the invalid, and sometimes no doubt his salvation. It is the first and finest relish among fruits, and well merits, Dr. Bottler's memorable saying, that doubtless God could have made a better berry, but doubtless God never did. On the threshold of summer, nature proffers us this her virgin fruit, more rich and sumptuous are to follow, but the wild delicacy and fillip of the strawberry are never repeated. That keen feathered edge greets the tongue in nothing else. Let me not be afraid of overpraising it, but probe and probe for words to hint its surprising virtues. We may well celebrate it with festivals and music. It has that indescribable quality of all first things, that shy, uncloying, provoking, barbed sweetness. It is eager and sanguine as youth. It is born of the copious dews, the fragrant nights, the tender skies, the plentiful rains of the early season. The singing of birds is in it, and the health and frolic of the lusty nature. It is the product of liquid May touched by June sun. It has the tartness, the briskness, the unruliness of spring, and the aroma and intensity of summer. Oh, the strawberry days, how vividly they come back to one. The smell of clover in the fields, of blooming rye on the hills, of the wild grape beside the woods, and of the sweet honeysuckle and spiray about the house. The first hot moist days, the daisies and the buttercups, the songs of the birds, their first reckless jollity and love making over, the full tender foliage of the trees, the bees swarming and the air strung with resonant musical chords. The time of the sweetest and most succulent grass when the cows come home with aching udders. Indeed, the strawberry belongs to the juiciest time of the year. What a challenge it is to the taste, how it bites back again, and is there any other sound like the snap and crackle with which it salutes the ear on being plucked from the stems? It is a threat to one sense that the other is soon to verify. It snaps to the ear as it smacks to the tongue. All other berries are tame beside it. The plant is almost an evergreen 
It loves the coverlet of the snow and will keep fresh through the severest winters with a slight protection. The frost leaves its virtues in it. The berry is a kind of vegetable snow. How cool, how tonic, how melting, and how perishable. It is almost as easy to keep frost. Heat kills it and sugar quickly breaks up its cells. Is there anything like the odor of strawberries? The next best thing to tasting them is to smell them. One may put his nose to the dish while the fruit is yet too rare and choice for his fingers. Touch not and taste not, but take a good smell and go mad. Last fall I potted some of the downer, and in the winter grew them in the house. In March the berries were ripe, only four or five on a plant, just enough, all told, to make one consider whether it were not worthwhile to kill off the rest of the household so that the berries need not be divided. But if every tongue could not have a feast, every nose banqueted daily upon them. They filled the house with perfume. The downer is remarkable in this respect. Grown in the open field, it surpasses in its odor any strawberry of my acquaintance, and it is scarcely less agreeable to the taste. It is a very beautiful berry to look upon, round, light, pink, with a delicate, fine-grained expression. Some berries shine, the downer glows as if there were a red bloom upon it. Its core is firm and white, its skin thick and easily bruised, which makes it a poor market berry, but with its high flavor and productiveness, an admirable one for home use. It seems to be as easily grown as the Wilson, while it is much more palatable. The great trouble with the Wilson, as everybody knows, is its rank acidity. When it first comes, it is difficult to eat without making faces. It is crabbed and acrimonious. Like some persons, the Wilson will not ripen and sweeten till its old age. Its largest and finest crop if allowed to remain on the vines, will soften and fail unregenerated or with all its sins upon it. But wait till toward the end of the season, after the plant gets over its hurry and takes time to ripen its fruit. The berry will then face the sun for days, and if the weather is not too wet, instead of softening, will turn dark and grow rich. Out of its crabbedness and spitefulness, come the finest, choicest flavors. It is an astonishing berry. It lays hold of the taste in a way that the aristocratic berries, like the Jacunda or the Triumph, cannot approximate to. Its quality is as penetrating as that of ants and wasps, but sweet. It is indeed a wild bee turned into a berry, with the sting mollified and the honey disguised. A quart of these rare ripes, I venture to say, contains more of the peculiar virtue and excellence of the strawberry kind than can be had in twice the same quantity of any other cultivated variety. Take these berries in a bowl of rich milk with some bread. Ah, what a dish. Too good to set before a king. 
I suspect this was the food of Adam in paradise. Only Adam did not have the Wilson strawberry. He had the wild strawberry that Eve plucked in their hill meadow and hauled with her own hands. And that, take it all in all, even surpasses the late ripened Wilson. Adam is still extant in the taste and the appetite of most country boys. Lives there, a country boy who does not like strawberries and milk. Yeah, prefer it to any other known dish. I am not thinking of a dessert of strawberries and cream. This, the city boy may have too, after a sort, but bread and milk with the addition of wild strawberries is peculiarly a country dish and is to the taste what a wild bird song is to the ear. When I was a lad and went to field with my hoe or with the cows during the strawberry season, I was sure to return at mealtime with a lining of berries in the top of my straw hat. They were my daily food and I could taste the liquid and gurgling notes of the bobolink in every spoonful of them. And to this day, to make a dinner or supper off a bowl of milk with bread and strawberries, plenty of strawberries, well, is as near to being a boy again as I ever expect to come. The golden age draws sensibly near. Appetite becomes a kind of delicious thirst, a gentle and subtle craving of all parts of the mouth and throat, and those nerves of taste that occupy, as it were, a back seat and take a little cognizance of grosser foods, come forth and are played upon and set vibrating. Indeed, I think if there is ever rejoicing throughout one's alimentary household, if ever that much abused servant, the stomach says, Amen, are those faithful handmaidens, the liver and spleen, nudge each other delightedly. It must be when one on a torrid summer day passes by the solid and carnal dinner for this simple Arcadian dish. The wild strawberry, like the wild apple, is spicy and high-flavored, but unlike the apple, it is also mild and delicious. It has the true rustic sweetness and piquancy. What it lacks in size when compared with the garden berry, it makes up in intensity. It is never dropsical or overgrown, but firm-fleshed and hardy. Its great enemies are the plow, gypsum, and the horse rake. It dislikes a limestone soil, but seems to prefer the detritus of the stratified rock. Where the sugar maple abounds, I have always found plenty of wild strawberries. We have two kinds, the woodberry and the fieldberry. The former is as wild as a partridge. It is found in open places, in the woods and along the borders, growing beside stumps and rocks, never in abundance, but very sparsely. It is small, cone-shaped, dark red, shiny, and pimply. It looks woody and tastes so. It has never reached the table nor made the acquaintance of cream. A quart of them at a fair price for human labor would be worth their weight in silver at least. Yet a careful observer writes me that in certain sections in the western part of New York, they are very plentiful. Ovid mentions the wood strawberry, which would lead one to infer that they were more abundant in his time and country than in ours.
This is perhaps the same as the alpine strawberry, which is said to grow in the mountains of Greece and thence northward. This was probably the first variety cultivated, though our native species would seem as unpromising a subject for the garden as club moss or winter greens. Of the field strawberry, there are a great many varieties, some growing in meadows, some in pastures, and some upon mountaintops. Some are round and stick close to the calyx or hull. Some are long and pointed with long tapering necks. These usually grow upon tall stems. They are indeed of the slim linear kind. Your corpulent berry keeps close to the ground. Its stem and foot stalk are short and neck it has none. Its color is deeper than that of its tall brother and of course it has more juice. You are more apt to find the tall varieties upon tall knolls in low wet meadows and again upon mountaintops, growing in tussocks of wild grass about the open summits. These latter ripen in July and give one his last taste of strawberries for the season. But the favorite haunt of the wild strawberries is an uplying meadow that has been exempt from the plow for five or six years and that has little timothy and much daisy. When you go a berrying, turn your steps towards the milk white meadows. The slightly bitter odor of the daisies is very agreeable to the smell and affords a good background for the perfume of the fruit. The strawberry cannot cope with the rank and deep-rooted clover and seldom appears in a field till the clover has had its day. But the daisy with its slender stalk does not crowd or obstruct the plant, while its broad white flower is like a light parasol that tempers and softens the too strong sunlight. Indeed, daisies and strawberries are generally associated. Nature fills her dish with the berries, then covers them with white and yellow of milk and cream, thus suggesting a combination we are quick to follow. Milk alone, after it loses its animal heat, is a clod and begets torpidity of the brain. The berries lighten it, give wings to it, and one is fed as by the air he breathes or the water he drinks. Then the delight of picking the wild berries. It is one of the fragrant memories of boyhood. Then the delight of picking the wild berries. It is one of the fragrant memories of boyhood. Indeed, for boy or man to go a berrying in a certain pastoral country I know of, where a passerby along the highway is often regaled by a breeze loaded with a perfume of the ore-ripe fruit, is to get nearer to June than by almost any course I know of. Your errand is so private and confidential, you stoop low. You part away the grass and the daisies, and would lay bare the inmost secrets of the meadow. You part away the grass and the daisies, and would lay bare the inmost secrets of the meadow. Everything is yet tender and succulent. The very air is bright and new. The warm breath of the meadow comes up in your face. To your knees, you are in a sea of daisies and clover. From your knees up, you are in a sea of solar light and warmth. Now, you are prostrate like a swimmer, 
are like a surf bather reaching for pebbles or shells. The white and green spray breaks above you. Then, like a devotee before a shrine or naming his beads, your rosary strung with luscious berries. Anon, you are a grazing Nebuchadnezzar or an artist taking an inverted view of the landscape. The birds are alarmed by your close scrutiny of their domain. They hardly know whether to sing or to cry, and do a little of both. The bobolink follows you, and circles above in advance of you, and is ready to give you a triumphal exit from the field, if you will only depart. Ye boys that gather flowers and strawberries, low hid within the grass, an adder lies. Morton makes Virgil sing, and Montaigne, in his journey to Italy, says, The children very often are afraid, on account of the snakes, to go and pick the strawberries that grow in quantities on the mountains and among bushes. But there is no serpent here. At worst, only a bumblebee's or yellow jacket's nest. You soon find out that the spring in the corner of the field, under the beech and tree, while you wipe your brow and thank the Lord for spring water, you glance at the initials in the bark, some of them so old that they seem runic and legendary. You find out also how gregarious the strawberry is, that the different varieties exist in little colonies about the field. When you strike the outskirts of one of these plantations, how quickly you work toward the center of it, and then from the center out, then circumnavigate it and follow up all its branchings and windings. Then the delight of the abstract and in the concrete strolling and lounging about the June meadows, of lying in pickle for half a day or more in the pastoral sea, laved by the great tide, shone upon by the viral sun, drenched to the very marrow of your being with the warm and wooing influences of the young summer. I was a famous berry picker when a boy. It was near enough to hunting and fishing to enlist me. Mother would always send me in preference to any of the rest of the boys. I got the biggest berries and the most of them. There was something of the excitement of the chase and the occupation and something of the charm and preciousness of game about the trophies. The pursuit had its surprises, its expectancies, its sudden disclosures, in fact, its uncertainties. I went forth adventurously. I could wander free as the wind. Then, there were moments of inspiration, for it always seemed a felicitous stroke to light upon a particularly fine spot as it does when one takes an old and wary trout. You discovered the game where it was hidden. Your genius prompted you. Another had passed that way and had missed the prize. Indeed, the successful berry picker, like Walton's angler, is born, not made. It is only another kind of angling. In the same field, one boy gets big berries and plenty of them. Another wanders up and down and finds only a few little ones. He cannot see them. He does not know how to divine them, where they lurk under the leaves and vines. The berry grower knows that, in the cultivated patch, his pickers are very unequal, the baskets of one boy or girl having so inferior a look 
that it does not seem possible they could have been filled from the same vines with certain others. But neither blunt fingers nor blunt eyes are hard to find, and as there are those who can see nothing clearly, so there are those who can touch nothing deftly or gently. The cultivation of the strawberry is thought to be comparatively modern. The ancients appear to have been a carnivorous race. They gorged themselves with meat. While the modern man makes larger and larger use of fruits and vegetables, until this generation is doubtless better fed than any that has preceded it. The strawberry and the apple, and such vegetables as celery, ought to lengthen human life, at least to correct its bilisness and make it more sweet and sanguine. The first impetus to strawberry culture seems to have been given by the introduction of our fieldberry, Fragaria virginiana, into England in the 17th century, though not much progress was made till the 18th. This variety is much more fragrant and aromatic than the native berry of Europe, though less so in that climate than when grown here. Many new seedlings sprang from it, and it was the prevailing berry in English and French gardens, says Fuller, until the South American species, Grandiflora, was introduced and supplanted it. This berry is naturally much larger and sweeter, and better adapted to the English climate than our Virginiana. Hence, the English strawberries of today surpass ours in these respects, but are wanting in that aromatic pungency that characterizes most of our berries. The Jocunda, Triumph, Victoria, and foreign varieties of the Grandifloria species, while the Hovey, the Boston Pine, the Downer, are natives of this country. The strawberry, in the main, repeats the form of the human heart, and perhaps, of all the small fruits known to man, none other is so deeply and fondly cherished, or hailed with such universal delight, as this lowly but youth-renewing berry. A kiss and good night. By the time the tale was done and the laugh was done, it was the hour to go to bed, and the maid came with a light for the young girls. They each gave a kiss and a kind good night to their dear friend, and ran off to their own snug room. The cot had but three small rooms on the ground floor, and three small rooms on the first floor, and that was the whole of the house. There was a nice piece of ground round it, part was a lawn to play and run on, and part was a court for fowls and ducks, with a small pond in it and nests for the hens to lay their eggs in, and part was full of fruits and flowers and beans and peas, and greens of all sorts, and each girl had a plot of her own, for pinks and such plants, and each had a rose bush full of buds. Then there were pears and plums and nuts, and a vine full of grapes that hung on the walls, and the roof of the low cot and a clear stream, with its soft turf bank, ran by the side of the lawn, and a hedge with wreaths of hops bound the end of the lawn. The boughs of trees hung on a seat made of roots, which in the hot months was a cool nook to work and read in and drink tea in, and more than that, to think in. 
For who could be there and see the sunrise or sink with mild beams, but felt their thoughts rise to the great God who made the sun? Who could feel the soft breeze waft health and strength, and not bless him who gave the pure gale? Who could taste the juice of fruits and smell the scent of buds, and not send up their hearts to him who made fruits and buds? Then would the mind pause and think, All things are made for the good of all, these for me and I for them. They serve me and I must serve them. I must be of use as well as they. So let me make the best of life and use my mind and my limbs whilst I am young and strong and can do good. By and by I shall be old and weak and not fit to work. Then it will be too late to mourn the loss of time. This, this is the hour when I must toil with head and hands and heart and think and work and feel. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you found the show helpful and want to make sure it's around for others to enjoy, please go to knoxbedtimestories.com and click the Patreon button. There are various rewards, and it ensures the show will be here for a long time to come. I wish you all a good night's sleep and a happy, peaceful life. May the best of your todays be the worst of your tomorrows. Good night.